But it's like almost as if like someone took my brain out and just sort of hijacked my mind where like every single room, every single situation I would step in, my brain would just tell me like, Mark, look down. Nobody likes you. Like never talk. And that eventually basically became my life for 10 years where I really didn't have any friends. And similar to you, I the only kinds of friends that I had were just people that I just associated myself around with for whatever reason at the lunch table, but weren't really my friends. And so for me, when I was going through this, I had no idea that I was going through this at the time. And of course, I had no idea what social anxiety was. And so I just thought that this was just me. So I was just thought like, man, I'm just born to be a loser. I'm never going to have any friends. I'm never going to do the things that I actually want to do and be who I want to become. And for me, my escape was the internet. Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world with the power of human connection. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and today's guest is Mark Metry. Mark is an entrepreneur, a Forbes-featured TEDx and keynote speaker, and a podcast host who has interviewed billionaires, New York Times bestselling authors, and world-class human beings on his global top 100 podcast. But once upon a time, Mark couldn't even make direct eye contact with anyone. He suffered from social anxiety. And boy, can I relate to that. In this conversation, Mark and I discussed the seeming contradiction of running a group program for people with social anxiety, his background as an immigrant who overcame bullying, racial discrimination, and health issues to become a very successful entrepreneur in his teens, how he pushed through social anxiety to become a global top 100 podcaster, and crucially, how to know when to quit a project or a task, something you don't hear about a lot from entrepreneurs. Plus, he gives a critical piece of advice to young professionals trying to make it in this increasingly chaotic and isolated world. Head to markmetry.com for all the ways to connect with Mark. That's M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y, or just click the link in the show notes, including his TEDx talk, his new book, and his podcasts. And now, please enjoy this very dense, lovely, wonderful conversation with the ever-fascinating Mark Metry. All right, Mark, thank you so much for uh, for joining me this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing very, very good. I just came back from my morning walk in 45-degree weather, so <laughs> I'm <laughs> doing right. good. I got my green tea right here. I'm ready to kick it with you. I'm jealous. All I have is water. I should have had green tea with me. What? What's your? Do you, wait. Do you do loose leaf or do you do pre bag tea? What do you do? I'm not judging in any way. Uh, <laughs> uh pre bag. Right, I'm judging yeah, a little bit. A, I'm judging a, a little. It's fine. It's fine though. <laughs> yeah. I used to be really into tea, and I used to yeah. do all like that loose leaf stuff. But now I'm just like whatever. Like just give me whatever I, is best. I'm with you. I feel like there was a time in my life when I actually had time to do loose leaf tea and that is no longer the case uh <laughs> it's a commitment so but there's all kinds of interesting things for us to chat about but before we get into any of the career stuff and all the obvious things like what's what's on your plate right now what are you working on this week or this month yeah so you know i'm really focused on uh, my podcast it's called social anxiety society i um i hosted a podcast for over four years called humans 2.0 and then sort of like last year, I kind of stopped doing it. it kind of, I kind of stopped, like kind of lost a little motivation. So then I relaunched it. 
And instead of me just like interviewing whoever's on like the speaking circuit, I just sort of do solo episodes about very like highly curated researched, like very specific topics um, or I'll have like a handful of interviews. So I'm just focused on trying to do that. And I'm sure maybe even two in your position, um, you know, my podcast is at a spot where it's sort of become like a side business where I can make money off it while doing something that I enjoy. So that's awesome. So I've been trying to focus more on that on the business side. Um, and then I also have been running this group that I recently started um, where people who just kind of have anxiety, social anxiety, we get together once a week. Um, and that's been very awesome. We'd had our session last night and, um, that's been awesome. I'm honestly like blown away by, um, like how impactful it's been in, uh, different people's lives. So I'm kind of focused on those two things. And then tomorrow I'm going to New York city. I have an event. I'm not speaking there. Um, so I also hope to start speaking too. I've done some, but c- kind of like you, I just want to. I want to travel everywhere. I'm ready to, to go and speak. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're ready to just like get out, especially after after a year and a half of sitting in our sitting in our houses, right? Just ready to get back out. I miss international travel. I've been doing a little bit of the national travel again in the last six eight weeks, but uh, I miss just country hopping. Uh, so much fun. But mm. but now now you said something really really interesting, and it almost skated by. So you started this group for people with social anxiety and there's a joke in there somewhere, right? I mean, so <laughs> how in the world did you pull together a group of people who don't, who have trouble being around other people and, and making new connections? How did that come about? You know, man, it's honestly like one of the hardest things I've done. Like I've been in like the whole like marketing, uh, you know, LinkedIn podcast industry. And at the start of this year, I um I like sold my business and I was just like I'm just gonna focus on this social anxiety and and helping people do this. It's been a, it's been a huge learning curve. Just learning how to you know like like trying to get people in there, learning how to market to them. It's very different than like probably any other group in the world. Um, so honestly, it's all the people in the group are people who've been following me for like years, who like have been paying attention to my stuff, um, who like know me, they can trust me. Um, but then, for example, you know, like I have someone in my group who, for example, is like over 400 pounds. And he was like, my doctor told me I'm like literally going to die if I don't do this. So I think a lot of times, too, it's like a sense of urgency of like people just hit a, a, a level of just being like sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then they just like find me in the right time and right spot. But it's definitely been a huge, huge, huge learning curve, man. I'm I'm honestly trying to learn and I'm trying to talk to other people in this, um, you know, kind of space to see how they do it, um, you know. And like, for example, I have, um, you know, like just making him the barrier to entry as low as possible, like just trying to reiterate, like you don't, you literally don't have to say anything if you don't want to. You don't have to turn on your camera if you don't want to. It's totally up to you. Um, and then also too, just like trying to give people, um, you know, free stuff. You know, like I've, I've produced over 600 podcast episodes, hundreds of articles. It's so many. Yeah, it's been, it's been years, man. It's, it's crazy. So I think just giving people that, um, you know, kind of makes them trust you a little bit more, but it's definitely been interesting. Definitely got to learn so more what, about it. You're talking about like the, the difference in, 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 in marketing. This is like so much harder marketing to this, this kind of person, uh, which in some ways is, is you at a different time in your life, right? You're kind of marketing and we'll, 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 we'll pull that back and get into and do the whole history thing in a minute. But, but, you know, 
what is it that you're finding is so much more difficult? Because you're such a good marketer. Right? I mean, you you obvi- nice. obviously by the businesses that you've built at such a young age. What is it that makes it so much harder to market to someone uh, who is you know socially anxious? Apart from the obvious joke of pulling those people into a group with each other, um, yeah. What what's so much harder about it? Yeah, you know, for me, you know, I just try to imagine like when I was a kid in school. And the school brought in like a speaker, right? And I would pay attention to that speaker for like the first minute. But I just like, I think it's because I I would like think so badly of myself or I would think like, oh, there's no hope. There's no way that I could possibly uh, act or live a different life. So like whatever that speaker is going to say doesn't apply to me because he's talking to like all the other normal people. Um, And then I also would think like, you know, whenever I came across any of the things that I talk about now, for example, like meditation, I would just be like, oh, that's like a scam or like, oh, that's uh, only hippies do that or like only, you know, people in the temples <laughs> do that. So I think there's just a lot of skepticism based on hopelessness, based on this idea of like their identity is so fixed that they can't possibly imagine a potential solution or a tool that could help them. Because if it is, then it's probably a scam and it's not going to work and people are just trying to take your money. So I think that, at least when I think back to like my old perception, that's yeah. that's probably the biggest reason. I think if you can dig deep down into that, it really has to do with having a big ego. And I don't mean to have a big ego in terms of be, like speaking too much or being too loud or being arrogant. But I think of your ego as like a defense mechanism. You know, it's like a suit of armor and people unfortunately, who, you know, have faced like social anxiety, they have been attacked either by other people or by their own brain so often that they have such a big ego to protect themselves. So that the next time someone comes and is like, hey, you should try this. It may actually help you. They're just like, oh, nothing can possibly help me because I'm just like living in this path and nothing can change. And I just got to try to survive every day and no one can really help me because it's a scam. So I think that's that's it. That's so interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, that's so interesting that there's there's it's it, it there's it's actually that ego that you're talking about, which for me is very familiar because I came from entertainment. I was a full time magician for mm. 10 years and I did corporate event entertainment and and I came in and what you may not know, because it's it's in very few places publicly, but. I had a debilitating speech and social anxiety as a kid. I was bullied and friendless my entire childhood. Um, and when I had friends, they weren't really real friends that stuck around. Mm-hmm. They were friends I thought I had that really weren't. Um, and it was magic. It was learning magic tricks that actually broke me out of that, saved my life. I mean, you know, wow. uh, somewhere around 13, 14. I mean, I'd been doing magic kind of like by myself alone in a room. But I don't know if you ever tried to fool yourself with a magic trick. Uh, you can't. Uh, you always know how the trick works. You're your own worst heckler. Uh, and so at some point, you you have to show somebody else a trick because magic doesn't work unless you show it to somebody mm. else. And it was like I was like compelled at, I don't know, maybe 13, like freshman year of high school or something. There was a trick I was so obsessed with and I had to share it with somebody. And so I like I showed it to a couple of kids sitting at my lunch table. They weren't my friends. I was just sitting at the same table as them. Mm. And I was like shaking with the cards. Right. But. <laughs> But I, I kind of hid behind the trick. I used the trick as a as a way to hide. But then they freaked out and oh man, and you guys gotta see this and come watch this thing and show that hey show them. And it was like in an instant, I found a way to connect with other people. And and mm. so that. But what eventually happened 
and I'm going to, this is coming back around now, that ego you were talking about, what happens is I have a very common story among magicians. Magicians tend to be revenge of the bullied or revenge of the socially anxious. And suddenly we find a way to be uh, popular and it swings wildly to the other side. And we, we, we develop this arrogant ego personality, which is, it's mm. the same thing. It's the coat of armor, but now for the opposite reason, which is I'm using magic and I don't want to let myself be a real person with these people. Mm. And so finding a way to let that coat of armor down and be vulnerable and really be present with somebody is really hard. Now you, you have a, you, you have your own story coming through social anxiety and leading to the place where you are now. Why don't you take me, take me back to that? Uh, you know, where, where did that start and how did you, how did you end up uh, you, you know, here, uh, visible yeah. in the public eye, running a podcast. <laughs> yeah, let me. Can I ask you a question first? Um, Please. So when when you were going through that phase, um, and yeah, I'm definitely glad that you discovered magic because if you didn't, you know, who knows where you would be, um, you know. And so it was sort of like a springboard. But for you, did you get? Did you ever get to a spot where you were like? oh my God, like, I don't even know how to talk to people. All I know how to do is just show them magic. Because it, like, it's funny because for me, like when I was writing my book and doing this research, I came across a lot of people where they were like, you know what, Mark? I'm not, I'm not like that traditionally shy person who's like sitting alone in the corner, but I am a comic uh, or I'm a magician or I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. And we sort of like hide behind these masks. So for you, was it just like a gradual springboard or was there ever a chance where you were like oh this is actually tying me down and it's sort of like a mask for me and i have to push myself to do it or was it kind of more gradual you know it 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 was really a a gradual understanding of what i what i wanted and and what really happened for me was um that i created a character as a magician who was the person i wished i was Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to be funny. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be the center of attention. I wanted people to notice me. And so as a magician in my head, I wasn't even being me. I was just being somebody else. And so I was funny. I wasn't afraid to make quick jokes and and respond a little snarky to that comment and get a laugh for that and and be the mm -hmm. magician guy. And what happened is over time, I got so comfortable doing that on stage and as a performer that it started to bleed out into my personal life. And eventually I became the character I had invented. Uh, and, and, and then, then at that point, the only thing that was left to do, which is what my Ted talk was all about was to, to drop the arrogance that had come over with that, uh, by accident, mm. you know? Um, and, mm. and that was actually, uh, the, it was a, it was a, a weird curse that the thing that allowed me to start connecting with people ended up uh, making people want to run away from me because it, it it brought along the arrogance with it, and then that was that's what my whole you know journey as a speaker is about. But but I wanna I wanna know from you you know like like where I know it's 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 in your book and it's everywhere else. But for somebody who's never heard of you, um, where did this where did this come from? Yeah, I'll tell you my Batman story. <laughs> so for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a son of immigrants. So my parents came from Egypt to the U.S. and Massachusetts and Boston uh, like a year or two before I was born. And so I was born in Massachusetts and um, 
you know, I just kind of had like a very, very simple childhood. My parents weren't really that rich. They were always working. I moved around to like 10 different apartment buildings from like the projects to then eventually better areas. Um, And really for me, when I look back at my journey that was quite impactful was you know, from second to third grade, basically moving from the inner city, which a lot of people, a lot of different kinds of people, to moving to like a pretty small town in Massachusetts. And what was really interesting about this town was that there were definitely some great people there, but um, let's just say there was no racial diversity whatsoever. And so all of a sudden I go to a new town and I'm the only person who looks different than everybody else. And also at this time in America, this was post 9-11. So if you mm. were Arab or Middle Eastern or any of those things, there was a lot of, uh, you know, not, you know, not so great stuff that was said. And so I remember just all of a sudden, like being this kid and then being placed in this very hostile environment where people were bullying me. I had no friends. And it's almost as if it's kind of hard to even like realize or kind of go back to what that felt like because it felt like a different life but it's like almost as if like someone took my brain out and just sort of hijacked my mind where like every single room every single situation i would step in my brain would just tell me like mark look down nobody likes you like never talk and that eventually basically became my life for 10 years where i really didn't have any friends and similar to you um I, the only kinds of friends that I had were just people that I just associated myself around with for whatever reason at the lunch table, but weren't really my friends. And so for me, when I was going through this, I had no idea that I was going through this at the time. And of course I had no idea what social anxiety was. And so I just thought that this was just me. So I was just thought like, man, I'm just born to be a loser. I'm never going to have any friends. I'm never going to do the things that I actually want to do and be who I want to become. And for me, my escape was the internet, you know, social media, YouTube, all these things were just, uh, you know, picking up steam when I was around that age. And so it was that and really video games. And I got really good at video games and kind of similar to you being a magician, I started to receive sort of that external validation around video games because out of all the people I played with, I was like the highest and like there were all these video games I played where I'd be like on top of the leaderboards. And then eventually I started like all these different YouTube channels. And I remember I had this one YouTube channel in like 2009 or 10 that had like 35,000 subscribers all based on video <laughs> games. And I, and I would like commentate just, over it. It's, it's so crazy. Ju- <laughs> just for the listener who may not be able to place that in history, 2007, if I'm correct, is when YouTube was even launched. And back then, 2009, YouTube was mostly people were using it for just video sharing as an easy way. That's what I was using it for. It wasn't. So to have 35,000 subscribers in like 2009, that was like, that's like having a million subscribers today. Like that was a, that is a huge achievement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I literally just like took all of my anxiety, all of like, all of that. I just like put it on the internet, you know? And I remember, wow. for example, like getting my first job, saving up enough money for a summer, uh, buying an iPhone, using that to make more money than buying like a little like netbook at Walmart. And like, I have all these Oh my crazy God, memories. I remember. I remember netbooks. <laughs> oh my God, I, I totally <laughs> forgot. I had what, those tiny little computers. Uh, my phone's bigger than that now. Um, yeah, yeah, that's why. Well, now, wait a second. Before you keep going there, let me let me just, just pause you on this because you're describing mm-hmm. um, all of this entrepreneurial 
tendencies, building businesses and doing all this stuff. And you're describing at a time in your life when you must have been really pretty young, teenager, Very right? Young. Late teen, yeah. something like that. Like 12, so, 13. 12. Okay. So what, <laughs> how, <laughs> I don't know where to start that. What, like, what's the first business you actually built that you would consider like a proper business? Like what, what did you, what was that? Um, I would say the first business where I actually built it was a uh, it was like a website design agency. So like, I learned, I also learned how to code and how to program, and so I would just like I don't know what website I would go on, but like I eventually like found like I don't know if it was freelancer.com or it was like one of these very early websites, and eventually I just like started to make all kinds of people's websites and their businesses. Um, that was probably the first one, at least the first one that made me a decent amount of money. The second one. Um, it was probably one of my YouTube channels. Again, like um, I think this was like right when YouTube started to monetize and and pay people. So I, I got in early on that. Obviously, it wasn't a crazy amount of money. I think it was like it was like five hundred dollars a month, which was still pretty significant, especially at that time for me. Um, I think most people today, most YouTubers struggling today, would be thrilled with five hundred dollars a month on their YouTube channel. That's a, <laughs> that's that's a significant achievement. Yeah. And then probably probably the biggest one was I ended up starting um, I played the, I played this game called Minecraft a lot mm. and I ended up starting this Minecraft server that long story short became one of the world's number one Minecraft servers and next thing I knew I had like millions of people on the server I had hundreds of thousands wow. of registered users on a website started making hundreds of thousands of dollars had like a whole staff team um, and then I just did so many things. I honestly, I've honestly lost count of like all of the different online businesses that I've started. Most of them failed, but a, a handful of them definitely became successful. And people ask me like, how did you do that? How I honestly have no idea. Like I literally, like I just took all my anxiety, all of my stress, all that need to like connect with people that I wasn't getting because of social anxiety. And I just dumped it on the internet. Yeah. So what's interesting <laughs> is that it sounds like what you were doing as somebody who's socially anxious, it sounds like you were you were gravitating towards business opportunities that required very little actual socializing with other people. You're making a YouTube channel. You're basically by yourself filming yourself. You're you build a, a server that's people typing on the Internet it doesn't feel the yeah. same. Um, you're you're doing uh, what, uh, the web design and stuff. It's minimal yeah. interaction with another human. Most of it's over email and things. So. The big question for me is then you're socially anxious. You're starting mm. to get some of the channel that anxiety into the connection, but you're you're not getting the face to face human thing that you, you know, you would traditionally associate with 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 that. Um, but then you launch a podcast. And I think that's the one where I'm really curious because that's not the obvious next step for somebody who's socially anxious and good at building businesses. Podcasts are really hard, very difficult to monetize, and it's all, it's very intimate human interaction, human connection. <laughs> Why a podcast? Why was that the choice? Yeah, um, you know, so just just some more context around, uh, you know, my path. So basically I got to this level where I was like 18 and um, I was very financially successful. And again, like, I come from a poor family. So like I've never had any kind of money, never had access to it. And for me, I always had like this concept of, you know, the American dream of like, hey, once you make enough money, then you can buy all the things you want and then you'll be happy and then your problems will go away. And I totally believed in that. Um, and so for me, this actually led me to a very interesting part of my life where 
I was about 18. I went go to college and I basically, due to a variety of different combinations, I seriously get depressed for the first time in my life because I kind of like, hey, I've did, I've done, excuse me, what society told me to do. I've made a lot of money, but yet that literally changed nothing about how I feel about myself, about my social anxiety. And then I also started to actually realize that, oh, social anxiety is actually a real thing. And so when I go off to college, I start to realize these things. I start to challenge myself. I'm trying to put myself out there and I just like epically fail. I try to make friends. I try to be more social. And it's like the most stressful, terrible situation of my life. And I really start to realize like, oh crap, I'm screwed. I'm going to be stuck like this forever. So that led to this period of my life where I kind of describe as like my rock bottom, where in a short period of time, I became seriously depressed. My lifelong social anxiety turned into social isolation. I became obese um, and I actually became like an insomniac. And there was actually a period of time where I was suicidal. And so then I go to this period of my life where it literally feels like my brain broke. Everything is just dark. I can't even be myself, even though I couldn't, could never really be myself. And it really just reaches me to this level where I'm just basically wanting to end my life. And eventually going through that, that was really the line in the sand where I was like, oh my God, I need to like really, really focus on my mental health because I, if I don't, I'm going to be a statistic. And so it was just like, hey, I've gone through all these things in my life and I was becoming aware of my past and my different traumas and different things. And I was basically like, I'm going to be a statistic and kill myself or I'm going to be a statistic in the opposite way. And despite the challenges that I've gone through, be able to come out of it alive. And so after that, it was just like a series of weeks and months and years of just like rebuilding myself physically, um, losing weight, rebuilding my brain, uh, working on my mental health, uh, changing my entire lifestyle. And so I was on that path for about a year, year and a half. And then I was just like, you know what? I'm still facing a lot of problems. Life is still very, very hard. And for me, what I did is like, I started a podcast, not, not for marketing reasons, not to brand myself, not because I even had something to say. It was literally just like, I have problems in my life and I need to create some sort of a system to solve these problems. And I know from my past that one of the most powerful ways to truly learn something is by having like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone where you hear their perspective and, and, and people who in some cases are experts who are known, they're credible in their field. And so basically for me, I really just started a podcast as like my own education system. And like what happened was I would like learn about all these things. I'd learn about meditation. And then I was like, okay, how can I use my podcast to talk to like the world's top 10 meditation experts and really just use the podcast as an excuse. Because at that time, I was like 20 years old. And so I was like, man, if I just send an email to Seth Godin, there's probably no way he's going to you know, respond to my email. But if I'm like, hey, I have this podcast, I you know, have built up this certain audience, much more likely to say yes. And so for me, over a series of just like weeks and weeks of interviewing people, and then eventually years, and then passing 100 episodes, it really wasn't until... I did over 200 episodes to where I finally started to actually share my story and I had like a friend come on and interview me. And so it was a very, very gradual, gradual approach. And then eventually by the end of 2018, I started to get invited to be a speaker 
like in public, in person. And so when that happened, I also sort of unlocked a part of myself because I remember the first time I got invited to speak, it was almost as if like a nuclear bomb lit up inside of me in a good way where all of a sudden I was like, mm. wow, I have like access and I, ha I like feel so much fire and energy for me to be able to speak on a stage about things that I'm really passionate about. And then ever since then, I, you know, I spoke basically in every major city in America the year after, and then it's really led me on this journey and then I started to write this book and then that came out and then there's the day that COVID shut down everything. And then, so, so yeah, that's how it kind of happened. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing because when you tell a story like that, right, you kind of look backwards. It's that old, like, you know, you can only connect knots looking backwards quote from from Jobs. Uh, you know, mm. when you tell a story like that, it, it it's it's obvious. The steps and the stages are obvious. But when you're going through it, when you're actually living it, it's not obvious that you're making the right choices, that that this decision to launch a podcast is going to lead me to eventually speaking on stages in America. Like that's not it's not a thought that you have. And even if you do, you usually assume it's not going to work. So what was yeah. break down some of that process uh, for for me? I mean, that mm. the podcast itself, I you know, preaching to the choir podcast. I've, I've been saying I'm in my fifth season. Uh, I've been saying nice. it's like probably the number one marketing decision, um, let alone life decision that I ever made for my business. Uh, not directly. Um, I don't monetize the podcast, so I get zero. Uh, I, I, I don't monetize. It. In fact, you I should. don't monetize it because it's the only thing in my life that basically isn't monetized. That's the problem of being self-employed. It's so easy to monetize things. <laughs> I like to have something that's, I owe nothing to nobody about this show. I do whatever I want, mm -hmm. talk about whatever I want. Um, don't have timelines. I can take a year off. It doesn't matter. Um, but you decided to go down this path and you started inviting people. What, what was the what was the conceit when you first started inviting kind of big name people? It wasn't because you're right that when you have a show, a podcast, it makes it easier to get to somebody who you could never get to otherwise. But you still have to have a good reason to be talking to them, even though it's on a podcast. What was the initial, you know, the show was called Humans 2.0. What were you pitching? What were you offering these people that got them to want to talk to you? Yeah. So, uh, it's really interesting. So in terms of, again, just, um, you know, I like what you said about when you do these things in the moment, they don't seem obvious. And I think that's super true. Um, and like literally for me, I remember it was just a day where I was like super stressed and I was just like, I literally don't know what I'm going to do. And I ended up, I, I went to the park and I went for a run. And I remember in the middle of the woods in this run, I was like, you know what, I should start this podcast called humans 2.0 because, um, you know, I saw myself change. I was like, Every, anyone can do it. Um, and then even after getting that idea, it probably took me another like two, two, two and a half months of procrastination to then be like, okay, I'm actually going to do this. Um, and I literally remember doing my first ever interview and it was terrible. It was literally terrible. And it was literally, of course. <laughs> um, it was just some random person that I got that was like already in my industry who I kind of already knew in my network. And so that's what I really did. I just like went off people that I kind of went with. And, um, you know, when I kind of look at my timeline, I started this podcast. I got the idea to start it in the middle of 2017. I went for it towards the end of summer of 2017. But then honestly, even after that, I never really took it seriously. I, I would like post on one episode 
every two weeks and then I'd post two in one day and then I wouldn't post anything for a month. And I remember being, um, so just for the record, so you did everything wrong, essentially that anybody would tell you, here's how you build a podcast and follow these steps and you can do it. You didn't do any of those things. No. And I remember, I remember being on new year's, uh, in 2017, 2018. And I remember just being in this spot in my life where I was still kind of impatient. I was like, I'm not getting the results that I want to get. And so I was just like, what can I do? What can I control differently? And so I was just like, you know what? Starting January 1st, 2018, I'm going to take this whole podcasting thing seriously. And then also at that time too, I think my fourth guest on my podcast, uh, right before I was about to interview him, right before I hit record, He's like, oh, um, give me a second. I got I to gotta make my daily LinkedIn post. I've been posting every day on LinkedIn. And so I was like, oh, I didn't even know you could post on LinkedIn. So then I also started to get more serious about LinkedIn as well. And like, yeah. just like the days and, and weeks that followed, it was just like me hustling every week, every month, trying to take this podcast seriously, producing three episodes a week, and then eventually making it daily. And then through that like very intense struggle, yeah, it was brutal, dude. I, I literally remember it was so brutal. It was so brutal. I look back at that, I'm like, there's no way I could do that right now. Um, but through that sort of tur- turmoil, that eventually, you know, my first sort of like big guest and then my, my second big guest and then my third big guest. And then I also sort of started to pop off on LinkedIn at that time too, which then significantly grew my audience. And then now I had a lot of people listening to my podcast. And then I think by the end of that year, my podcast had like ranked in like the global top 100 next to like Tim Ferriss and NPR and Gary Vee and like the New York times. And when that happened, that entirely changed my entire life. And then I had all these people would call me, trying to hire me, give me opportunities, all these huge guests. It became very easy for me to get them on. Um, and I think, I think probably the first, uh, the first big guest who I got on, um, I think I literally just commented on all of his Instagram posts. And he was just like, oh, this is just like some 20-year-old kid. <laughs> let me just like do this thing for 15 minutes. I remember it was like, it was like, yeah, let me get my assistant to get you on for like 15 minutes. And, and like that was it. And I remember that was like my first thing. And like I, I was like sweating balls and like I had all these questions. And I think after that, and then once my show started to grow through LinkedIn, then everything became a lot easier. But that was sort of the first yeah. uh beginning steps. Yeah. It's, it's such an amazing, it's such an amazing journey and and it's, and it's a good reminder of how, uh, how long it takes sometimes for the snowball effect to pick up that, that you have to do so much work for very little reward, hoping that that snowball effect will pick up. And it, and it doesn't, like you said earlier, you've had lots, probably most of your projects have failed. I'm the same way. I say, I tell that to people. I tell it to my clients. Uh, you know, I, I, I coach a lot now and, and, and I say, you know, most of the projects and ideas and things I've tried have just failed miserably. And they're like, what are you talking about? Everything we see you do is a big success. I'm like, yeah, because I don't post about the failures. I don't I don't blast it on LinkedIn that this another new project that I well, we proposed this to 20 different corporate clients and they all said no. Like that's not on my LinkedIn, you know. And and so I think one of the things that 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 strikes me, I've been thinking a lot in the last few years about the role of luck in success. Mm. Because I don't think luck is talked about nearly enough especially by super successful people who have influence and and who have a, a following. 
and I, and if I remember right, you've you've mentioned this a few times, um, uh, or skirted around this idea um, on LinkedIn publicly as well too. You know, uh, I love uh, Gary V some days, and I do not other days. Uh, and and not personally, I don't know the guy personally, but you yeah. know, as a brand, as a message, um, because I think he's right about hustle and hard work and persistence. But I think what people leave out of that equation of that success equation, they go find your passion, work hard persist, persist, persist. And I always go, yeah, those three things and get lucky, right? And mm. and luck can come in the form of, of uh, chance, total chance, uh, it can come in the form of privilege. It often comes in the form of privilege. Um, it can come in the form of the right connection at the right time or just the right timing. Uh, so I, I got to ask you, you know, do you mm. believe in luck? Yeah, yeah, definitely believe in luck for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think those things, those aspects of luck are definitely important. And, um, you know what I think I believe in luck and I also believe in like desperation, you know? So I think a lot of, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of things, a lot of times, like when you think of someone like Gary Vee, where he's like, yo, I had to, you know, my dad run, ran this business and then I had to hustle for a decade, you know? And it's like a lot of the times, like people do that because in their head, like they don't have any other choice. Like they're so desperate for money where they really, I would say just torture themselves and really just like mess up their entire life. <laughs> like they literally just take this thing and it messes up their entire life and they become addicted to it. They become obsessed by it. And yeah, if you're living that lifestyle where like every day you're like trying to figure out how to do this thing, then yeah, you're definitely going to get lucky for sure, you know, because right time, right place, you know? So <laughs> I, think, Man, I think I think about that a lot. <laughs> I love that answer that, 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 desperation is almost a different way to dis to to describe luck or at least one of the ways that luck happens it's funny because i've asked like for the last couple of years like dozens and dozens of people on this show i've asked them about luck and nobody has ever phrased it as as desperation uh which <laughs> is funny because when i think back to my early magic career after after college i decided i, I turned down a phd offer because all my family is academics and phds and i was groomed mm. for that my whole life i was always supposed to be a computer scientist like my parents. And then when I decided not to go to computer science, but I was doing philosophy, it was kind of like, okay, the, the the feeling from my parents was, well, it's not really a real discipline, but at least you're going to grad school, you know? And, and I was mm -hmm. like, so I was going to do a PhD in philosophy. And then at the last hour, I decided to turn that down because I wanted to do card tricks for a living. And that was a rough phone call home to mom and dad. Oh, uh, but I decided I was going to try to make it as a magician full time. And so I moved to uh, moved to Connecticut, uh, where I had some cousins and aunt and uncle. I crashed with them for a few months and then got a place with a roommate and decided I was I had a roommate. I had rent. I was on my own. I didn't have money coming in from anybody, um, you know, for the first time. And I was like, I'm going to make it as a magician. And the only goal was I said to myself, if you take a part time job at McDonald's or anywhere just to make ends meet, you will have failed. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't recommend this and I'm not recommending this because if you need money, go get a job, go get a part time yeah. job, go take any job. But and this is part of that privilege. Like right? I came from an upper middle class family. I if I had failed, I would not have been homeless. So there's privilege right. in that. Right. Having said that, I decided if I took a part time job, um, that would have meant I failed and I was refusing to do that. And so I had to come up with a way 
to pay my rent, to feed myself every month with nothing but magic card tricks. <laughs> and there's, there was a lot of desperation for like two years. And it's funny because I had never thought of it like that until you just said that. But there were months when I didn't have a single gig on my calendar and I'm going, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to feed myself this month? And I would start calling every person, every business, every restaurant and go, you want, I do magic at the tables in between while people are waiting for their meals. And I do this and I do that. And I made it. I somehow always paid my rent and I always fed myself sometimes a lot less than other months. But, you know, for years before the snowball picked up and I ended up eventually leading to the 17 year career that I've had now that led to all the other things, you know, that desperation. Yeah, that'll get you there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and the only the only thing with that too is like you also want to make sure that you don't you know burn yourself in the process right because mm-hmm. the way that i think about it is like you know you're you know you're everyone's like sort of natural raw potential to put in effort and to put in their energy it's like a fire right and and obviously yeah. you need fire right like fire is what made you know depending on who you listen to in terms of human evolution fire is what mm-hmm. made us human however if you're in that fire every day could lead to long-term issues, you know? And I I meet a lot of people who are entrepreneurs or whatever, where they just like straight up put their head down for like 10 years and hustled. But then now they have like this, you know, stress autoimmune issue where now like they have like this mental health, you know? And so I think it's one of those things now, like where I'm, I'm much more focused on that, where it's like, yeah, if you do that, yeah, you can make money. But if you can get out of that and, and maybe you're not even as successful, maybe you don't get as lucky um, or maybe some other challenges hit you in the face as well while you're doing it, yeah. it can definitely lead to a road of um, not just burnout, but it, it really you get burned by the fire. You know, so I think that's yeah. also a huge aspect that's important. I'm with you. And that's that's why I've been thinking about luck so much is that I think a lot of times what you just described is actually the most common thing that happens to people because they hear this message of hard work, passion and persistence, and they don't hear also luck. They never hear that. And so they think if I'm not successful yet, it's just because I haven't worked hard enough or long enough or both. And so they just work harder and longer and harder and longer. And they never ask themselves, is this idea actually likely to succeed because maybe this thing I'm working on just isn't meant to happen or maybe I'm not the one who's meant to make it happy or maybe this is not the right time in history to make it happen right there's lots of reasons and knowing when to quit can be the most important thing sometimes knowing when to abandon an idea do you have I mean you've abandoned I'm sure lots of ideas that have that have failed do you have any suggestions for somebody like how do you know when to abandon an idea because it's not going to work versus it just needs a little bit more time. I need to work a little bit harder. How do you how do you figure that out? Yeah. Well, what I would say is I definitely agree with what you said. You said passion, persistence, and what was what was that? Hard work. Hard work, and then luck, and then I would also yeah. add in there like taking care of your health. You know, because I think all of those are really important. Um, you know, I've quit a lot of things. Like I quit something at the beginning of this year. I quit something back in 2018. It's honestly very difficult um, to to be able to realize that and when you should. Um, but honestly, I think the most important thing that I've learned about that is it just matters what you value in life, right? So like I remember when I was listening to um, Gary Vee, uh, you know, and, and I sometimes still do, but not really anymore in like 2016. And I was like, 
I'm going to start a company that has hundreds of employees. And then later on, I was like, wait, I, that's like literally the worst case scenario. I would never want to do that. Why, why would I do that? Right. So I think it's like choosing your values of like, what do you want your life yeah. to look like in terms of like, are you someone where, you know, you want to be outdoors a lot or like you want to vacation a lot or you want to have a certain kind of lifestyle? I think yeah. that is really what's important because based on that, you may have to stop and be like, oh, this vehicle that I'm on, it may not actually take me there, um, right? Like, for example, for me, uh, in, before I was like, you know, doing this full time, I was running like this marketing podcast agency and it was cool. It definitely made me money. But at the end of the road, it was just like, I was just like, you know what? I don't necessarily need to do this for my finances and honestly, five years from now, even if this doesn't become successful, or excuse me, if it does become successful, I don't really even want to be a part of that because then it's just mm-hmm. going to be its own thing. And I've kind of learned that, um, you know, I'm sort of more of like a uh, like a creator, creative, visionary person rather than like a like a day to day operations. And so, you know, so I think a lot of times it has to do with like, who are you? Like, what's your identity? And then what do you value the most? And then how do you create a life? where you can be surrounded by that as much as possible. It could definitely be hard to realize it yeah. in the moment. Um, but I think another thing too is that, you know, we live in 2021 where of course, like there's challenges today that make life a lot harder, but then also there's potentially more opportunity now than ever and more ability for people to actually use their free will and do what they want. You know, like you can, again, I totally agree. If you need money, get a job. But you could quit your job and like try experimenting with this thing. You could travel to some different place and, and like learn more. You know, and so there's so many different ways to go about it. And so what I would just say is like, what is congruent to your life? And like, as you're trying to grow every day, mm-hmm. if there's something that you notice that's sort of going against the grain in your own like personal professional life, then I think that's maybe a sign where it's like, try to play it out in your head in terms of where this could go to in the future. And if you don't want to be, where that vehicle is going to take you in the future, then you should probably get off the train, you know? And it's sort of similar to like yeah. a train, right? Like if you, if you get on a train, um, no one's going to kick you off the train, right? But the conductor, he's going to tell you, hey guys, it's this stop. Hey guys, it's this stop, right? But if you're like yeah. asleep or if you're just like, you're playing a game and you're, you got your headphones in, you may never actually stop and get up and got off the train. And then you're, that train may take you to somewhere you may, you may not even want to go. And so I think that's kind of the way that I conceptualize it. That, that makes that's, sense. I, I really, I yeah, know it does. I, I, working backwards, I feel like is, this has been a theme too. And, and almost all of your answers today, just to underline is that the, the way that you think through things is very, uh, is very much like an engineer. You, you work backwards a lot. It sounds like you, you look at where you want to be, you look at the outcome you want to have, and then you go, well, what would I need to have done right before to make that happen? Okay. Well, how do I get there? What do I need to be? How do I get there? What do I, right. And, and you have this way of looking at, at things like that and starting with like, where do I want to eventually be? Where what aligns with the future that I want to have, with the life that I want to have, with my values and beliefs, what's congruent? I think people forget to ask themselves that. They go, I I want to start a business or I want to run a podcast. And you go, Great. What's the end game that you're trying to get to? Where are you trying to get to with that podcast? Well, I don't know. It just seems fun to start a podcast. Okay. Well, it you can do things just because it's fun, but it's also a really easy way to burn out is having no idea where where you're headed, right? Um, and it's like that old quote, I forget who said it, but there's nothing worse. It's like, there's nothing worse than climbing up a ladder all your life and then realizing it was against the wrong wall, 
right? Oh, it's like, oh my God. it's like, you don't climb up a ladder against the wrong wall. Like get off and get on a different ladder, right? Get off and get on a different train. Um, and a lot of, this is going to be a tenuous uh, transition here, but go with it. Uh, <laughs> a lot of these trains that we end up on come in the form of people that we run into. See what I did there? Uh, and one of the, <laughs> uh, the main thing that I have everybody do on this show, everybody has always done on this show, is uh, to tell me a story of a chance encounter that had lasting impact on your life your business, somebody that you bumped into, whether it was a fleeting moment and you never saw them again or has stayed a part of your life. Um, I've, you've had a, so many. And because your whole platform is around social anxiety, I'm super curious to know who comes to mind for you with a, a chance encounter. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, it's funny real quick. Uh, back in the days when I was in college, I, um, I actually did computer science, so and I voted so like a lot of my brain works in that kind of logical way that you laid out. Um, so yeah, so chance encounter, you know, the one that comes to mind is so like I said, I'm a son of immigrants, and my parents, um, they weren't necessarily academic, but they always told me, Mark, you're either going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, maybe a couple other professional titles, or a failure. They didn't necessarily say it in that way. Um, but there's also like this like cultural way of just like, you have to do this. You have to go to college. You have to get this degree. You have to get a job that has a six figure salary because that's the way out. Um, and so like ever, ever since obviously didn't do that, um, you know, my parents have sort of been like, you know, they, my parents trust me because they've seen my success in the past. So they're sort of like, okay, Mark, go for it. But like, you know, like we don't really understand what you do. Um, and like, again, my parents, they come from the middle East mental health is not really talked about there at all. Right. So when I start talking about this stuff, even for them, it's like, yo, what, like, you know, I remember, um, I got interviewed by Forbes and I remember I came home one day and my mom was watching it and, and it was just like, so funny because like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine her perspective and she's like, wait, our son, who's just like been this kid all of a sudden, he's like now on TV and doing all this stuff. Um, but I remember, um, there was this moment, I don't even remember when, I think this was last year or even the year before, where um, I was at this mall and this, I, I hardly go to this mall, but it's kind of like this mall that I sort of like grew up in, sort of like when I was a kid, I would just always go to this mall like every weekend. I don't really go there anymore. And so like one just random chance, I was just with my parents and we're just like, hey, let's just go to this mall for like memory's sake, Right. So we're like going in this mall. We're like walking in some random area of the mall. We're walking. And then all of a sudden, um, this guy, like some random guy just walks up to me and he's like, yo, are you, are you Mark Metry? And I'm like, yeah. And he, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he starts telling me how he's been listening to my podcast. He like found me on LinkedIn in a time where he didn't have a job and he was like suicidal and he was so shy. And then all of a sudden, through like a series of, you know, weeks, months, and years, he's been able to climb himself out of that and totally change his life. And he was like, you were like the biggest catalyst of that. And and he was just like, dude, I like literally can't imagine, like, this seems like a total out-of-body experience that I'm even meeting you, like this random location. And that was cool because that got for me to see sort of like the real world impact that I had. But it was also cool because I was with my parents. And my parents were just like, wait, what the hell? Like, is this guy talking to our son about? But like in that moment, even my parents started to understand like, oh, this is like what our son does. And so that was like a very like amazing chance encounter 
that is honestly random and honestly it happens a decent amount um at least in different cities like new york city and boston we're all just like meet like these random people um that have been following my stuff um and it's like always just like the most mind-blowing thing where i'm just like i can't believe that actually happened um you know and so yeah. that for me is what comes to mind because that i think really helped me in a lot of different ways in, I can imagine a, a bunch of different ways that that, that might help you. Uh, and, and in particular, you know, podcasting, posting on LinkedIn, writing a blog, even making a YouTube channel. These are things that can feel uh, very isolating. They, they feel sometimes like you're yelling into a void because you do all this work <laughs> and then you put it out there and then you can track the numbers and see the numbers go up. But it's 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 different when you bump into a somebody person flesh and blood who shakes your hand and goes oh my god like i've been listening to your stuff or i watched your thing and i thank you i read your blog and i gave it to my team and uh so what was the change i mean how what was different about you after that like that first time i'm sure it, it happens plenty now but like the first time that happened like what was the big change for you yeah so it, it happened many times i remember i still remember the first time that it happened it was in new york city and that totally changed my life because that really reinforced what you just said of like, oh, it's not just online. It's, you know, it's in person too. But I think the, the situation that I kind of said, I think for me, it was just like, um, it just not necessarily changed me, but it, it changed my parents and their accepting mm -hmm. and my understanding. And, and again, like I've always had, thank God, like speaking in terms of privilege, I've always had great parents who have definitely helped me in a number of ways and ha have always been friendly and supportive to me. Um, but they didn't, they didn't really understand what I did. Like they really didn't. Yeah. Um, they were just like, Oh, our son just like sits on the laptop and just like types <laughs> random things and has this microphone. But I think for me, that was like a stage in terms of my family where they just like started to really understand me more and what I do more in a way where they had never really understood it in the past. Um, and so, yeah, I think that for me really did it. And then I think also too, I think every time that happens, um, like I think another time it happened too when I was with my girlfriend too, which was like awesome in a restaurant, which then <laughs> talk about ego. Um, I think every time that happens, um, it's always just like a, a reminder of like what you just said of like, because I honestly completely forget sometimes that every day, like tens of thousands of people read my thoughts on the internet. Like it literally blows my mind. And sometimes I don't even think about it, right? Because sometimes I'm just like in my own routine, I'm talking to all these people. And I just like, I've done it so much over the last, you know, three, four years where I don't want to say I take it for granted, but it's sort of just like a regular normal thing for me. So I think when I see that experience or the same thing, like when I get like that crazy um, heartfelt email or, or just certain messages or certain people reach out to me. Um, you know, like I remember I interviewed um, this guy named Jay Shetty. And this was like a week Jay before Shetty. COVID. Viral, yeah. fa mostly Facebook viral. Yeah. Um, and I remember like before I interviewed him, he, he was like, dude, I'm a big fan of your stuff. Like I've known about you for the last year and a half. And like I started to learn from Jay Shetty when I was in my dorm room in 2016. And so for me to experience that, and that's happened, th similar things like that, where, you know, like my, uh, you know, my role models have become like my colleagues and my peers that yeah. happens to me all the time now. And so when you experience that also, I think that also yeah. changes you because on a wide variety of reasons, I think the biggest one that comes to mind is that. 
you look at these people like Jay Shetty who have gotten like, you know, whatever, 10 billion views on the internet, or you look at these people who have maybe made all this money or have made all this impact. And especially if you can become friends with them and if you can sort of put yourself in close contact, then I think eventually a part of your brain is just like, oh, well, if they did that and like now that you're friends with them, it doesn't seem that crazy that they did it. And then it's like, oh, wait, I can probably do something, too. Like, that's not that big of a deal. So I think that also, too, it helps to, like, normalize um, a level of success that you may not even be at. So I think that for me, uh, both of those scenarios, running into people and also, like, you know, my role models have been huge. Before I ask, I'll ask you one last question. Before I do that, where where do you want people to go find you? Where Where's the, like, the number one place that you like people to look you up? LinkedIn? LinkedIn, probably the best spot is my website, just my first and last name.com. People can view links to my LinkedIn, my book, my podcast. They can contact me directly, my newsletter, all the all that Great. stuff. All right, we'll have that on the show notes. So the new book, your new book, Screw Being Shy. Uh, we've talked all around all the concepts today. We've explored it. Most of my listeners are early 20s to mid 30s. They're young professionals trying to find their way, trying to build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world, increasingly unpredictable. Uh, for somebody who is shy, uh, who what what's the number one piece of advice from the book if you could only give them one? If they didn't have time to read the book, what would you tell them? Oh man, um, here's what I would say, okay? Uh, a lot of the times, uh, social anxiety sort of gets brushed under the rug as like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. If And we sort of have like all of these colloquial mainstream words of like being shy, being an introvert, although that's different than social anxiety. It's all sort of like the same thing or people sort of think about that. What I would say is that a lot of people think that you can recover from social anxiety by just like doing this like quick hack or by like taking this supplement um, and I think the reality is, is that the more and more I've learned about it, you, you really have to go through a recovery process to where you really have to go through these different phases and these months to where you are recovering your brain to where instead of just saying to yourself, Hey, I'm going to go out there and try to be social and try to talk to people. But then like the next day, your brain is giving you the same loops. You really have to go through a recovery process, right? Like the same way that if you break your leg right? You go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a cast. He gives you crutches. And then you come back the next month and they give you maybe a different kind of a cast. And then by the third month, maybe they remove the cast and they just give you crutches and then they take you to physical therapy, right? You almost have to do the same thing, but when it comes to your mental health and anxiety. And if you don't do that, I mean, good luck, but you're probably just sort of going to be looking for quick fixes and, and band-aid hacks that are going to leave you to being in that fire and, and really burning yourself in the long term. So I would say if people could take one thing, it's like, it's not a quick hack. It's not, a, 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 you know, a, a you know one step or one thing you have to do. You really have to put yourself in this very deliberate and very consistent recovery process that may last anywhere from three months to six months to nine months to 12 months to two years to really your whole life. So if you can do that, then any other time where you maybe get socially anxious or you get shy, rather than sort of, you know, poking out like a wound that leaves you to bleed every time, your brain has sort of recovered to where instead of it maybe affects you for a month or two months or two weeks, it affects you just for the day or for the hour. Um, and so you really have to go through that recovery process. And that could look different to different people. 
Um, but you know, I recommend for people to seek out the resources that they need. If it's my book, if it's talking to a doctor, you know, everyone has a different path. Uh, but you really have to do go through a recovery process if you're like, man, I've been shy my entire life, or maybe I haven't had the mask of being shy, but deep down I've had that deep social anxiety that like always sits there in the back of my brain. You have to go through a recovery process. I think that's a great answer. And if all else fails, start a podcast. So <laughs> I uh, I really I really appreciate your uh, your time and 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 your vulnerability and sharing your stories, Mark. I'm going to let you go, and we will have all the show notes, all the stuff in the show notes. Uh, for anybody who wants to check it out. Thank you so much. Woo! That was awesome. You're the best. 